Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to the show, Cybersecurity Where You Are. I'm Sean Atkinson, CISO here at the Center for Internet Security. And as we've been going through uh, the last set of series in terms of the podcast have been focused on the life cycle of auditing. And I'm joined again today by Stephanie Guest, Director of Information Security, Governance, Risk and Compliance. Stephanie, how are you? I'm doing well, Sean. Thank you. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So we're basically going to talk about going through the life cycle. Now you've got the report. We've been through an audit. We've been assessed against our respective compliance framework, whatever that flavor happens to be, a SOC, an ISO, a NIST, whatever uh, happens to be the flavor of the month, or as Tony would say, the fog of more in terms of frameworks. However, what we want to review and what we'll do today is we'll talk about what organizations should really think about when they receive that report. What does it mean for an organization to receive the report? What, are we, what am I supposed to do now? Is it correct all the things? Is it to assess an approach? Is it to ignore it? Is it to just put it on the pile of other things that I've got to do and move forward? We got the report. That's the end of it. And Really, I don't think it is, Stephanie. I think it's the start of a, uh, a refreshed approach to security. At least that's the way uh, I take it. Um, what do you think? So we've got this report. What are we doing next? Um, honestly, you're evaluating the report to make sure that it aligns with your organizational goals um, because we really want to tackle the higher risk ones before we start, you know, finishing off the lower levels. Um, because I, the higher the risk, that poses a larger risk to the organization as a whole in terms of, you know, whether it's reputational or financial, and you really want to understand what that means for your organization. So being able to go through those findings and evaluate high, medium, and low, I think is really critical once you get the report back, because now you can prioritize. And with that prioritization, you can also start assigning dollar amounts and, you know, helping with your budget for planning for the following year to try to remediate some of the findings. Wonderful. Exactly. That's, I mean, there's no better approach than testing to that type of capability, right? We're, we're going to use the assessment. We'll contextualize it for our organization. Now, one of the other things, and, and this is where, uh, and really where we jump into our first question is where are the common areas organizations fall short in terms of compliance? But it, it's really on that onset as well is when you're thinking about an organization is that they'll maybe just take what the auditor has provided at face value and just say, okay, that's the next set of prioritizations. That's high, medium, and low. Good. I'm just going to move forward with that. But ultimately, there's an element of challenge because that respectfully, the audit organization has maybe been with your organization two or three weeks. Don't still understand the necessity of the organization in terms of one budgeting, in terms of two understanding the current posture, three projects that are in flow. And 
in some cases, myself and Stephanie have experienced this together is, you know, we've got these projects that are going to move along that are going to, you know, basically mitigate this risk that you've identified. Well, it's not here today. It's a point in time assessment. Now, ultimately, you're going to be called. Okay, well, that's already in progress. Let me look through uh, the other findings, if there obviously are any. We're, uh, again, Stephanie's program is so uh, so good. Usually no findings. Absolutely amazing. Right, Stephanie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of compliance, Stephanie, where do you see other organizations falling short in terms of, um, you know, these common areas of we're following a compliance program. So where, where other elements you've seen where uh, those uh, fall short? I think one thing is really understanding your framework in terms of compliance, because I think a lot of organizations, especially now, are balancing multiple frameworks. So how do you prioritize? And really, you should probably look at the more stringent one and kind of work backwards based on your organization. But I think right now, a lot of organizations are kind of falling short in the data protection area as the privacy world is evolving and changing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, that seems to be a big one is data protection. How are you protecting both your employees and your members or your customers' data um, and asset management? Asset management is something that I think a lot of organizations struggle with just because the amount of assets each organization owns and being able to really follow through that asset management lifecycle. Absolutely right. I mean, um, in our career, Stephanie, and we've been working for a number of years together, it usually what we'll see is uh, the elements that I call the usual suspects, right? It, it's asset management, patching, some vulnerability, and usually falls down to that lowest common denominator of data is it's that there's always issues in that space because it's really so hard to get a grasp of and ultimately depending on you know the parenthetic of the respective compliance framework there are different perspectives and if you're following multiple like cis does it's you know it's trying to find that balance and i love when stephanie goes to this area where it's this default governance piece of the most stringent will allow you to comply with the rest and so utilizing that as kind of the gauging factor really helps to one break down ultimately these audit requirements and then ultimately uh lead you to success by ultimately this default, as it were, going to the uh, worst, as it were, or the, the most stringent uh, in these respective frameworks. So Stephanie, we get through respectfully this governance uh, compliance area, but ultimately security vulnerabilities should be identified. At a core element, you know, security, ultimately compliance should be the byproduct of good security. So when we see security vulnerabilities being identified in an audit, and we want to look at best practices. What are some areas that um, you know you follow in terms of addressing those or, or bringing those to bear, as it were, to identify the respective stakeholders who own a said system with vulnerability or program or uh, underlying capability? Any thoughts there? Yeah, sure. If we have security vulnerabilities that are identified in an audit, my first step would be to contact the system owner, uh, set up a meeting, let's talk about it because 
just because we've identified it as a security vulnerability in the audit doesn't necessarily mean it's a security vulnerability in our environment. It's all contextual. You know, has it been patched recently? Is there a patch? Because there may not be a patch, if, you know, depending on how new it is. Um, are they legacy systems? You want to understand what the legacy systems are um, because that always impacts how you can remediate security vulnerabilities. So I think really being able to talk about it with the business owner is critical and understanding how it impacts your organization and is it really a high vulnerability versus a low vulnerability and remediating it from there. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I think, you know, really going back to your commentary on the compliance, it's looking at those prioritized, right? Let's prioritize those based on our business context, uh, and then we can utilize them because ultimately the vulnerabilities identified are not all going to be equal. There's going to be some we need to pay attention to. There's some that may be in remediation. Again, not identified at that point in time, but allow us to uh, respectfully move forward. The one other area that I like, and this is actually uh, something that Stephanie's been developing in the organization itself, is uh, we've got to verify the remediation as well. So one of the best practices is not only, oh, I fixed the vulnerability, here's the output, is, well, let's retest. And I, I think that's a good attestation, really, of the capability of the uh, remediation to uh, basically provide feedback on one, yes, we've reduced the vulnerability to either we're accepting whatever exists or we've reduced it down to something within a level of tolerance. And two, it's also great for the audit and the assessment team to understand the implications of the remediation itself. So some great work being done in that space as well. Um, and then when we do this, um, and the reason I mentioned remediation is because I want to take those results, uh, and really this follows on to the next question of integrating those into the overall security program, right? So we may be following an element of compliance by respectfully going through attestation and certification, but ultimately we need to bring that back to the security program. So what elements, Stephanie, um, would you use to integrate the results of not only the findings, but also the remediation into uh, your security program? A lot of times it's been where it's actually in a gap in general between the framework and where you want your security program to be. So what you can do is just integrate another audit requirement into your program and test that based on the cadence, whether it's quarterly, biannually, or annually, um, depending on what it is, right? So being able to make it a part of your continuous auditing program, I think is critical um, to address that gap. Because at the end of the day, yeah, you can align with the framework, but you also want to be secure too. So there's been a gap that's created and we want to fill that gap. So let's look to see how that gap can be filled. Definitely. Yeah, I love that because what it leads us to and really shows, and this is one of the areas. So there's really two elements that I like to measure here. And that's one, the implementation, right? We've measured and we've assessed that we're compliant, but it's also providing security. But the other piece is the maturation of the process. 
don't just follow compliance for compliance sake. What is the reason for to necessitate this gap assessment to, you know, respectfully be filled with a control that ultimately leads to overall security that aligns to a compliance capability, but also feeds a security need. And, you know, when Stephanie mentions the um, integration of audit assessment, I mean, that's, that is your measurement, that is your progress, that's showing the maturation. And you may say, well, you know, you just keep adding more audit elements to this underlying program, but ultimately you want to get to a point where that measurement can really necessitate the determination of the risk tolerance for the organization. And if that risk has been accepted, ultimately then the cadence of assessment may reduce over time when you feel confident in the controls capability. But it really gives you an idea of the um, the integration of those audit findings, of the assessment into your program. And ultimately that for me is a, a reflective mirror that I like to then show the reflection back to the auditors to say, look at what you recommended. Here's where we've taken it. We didn't just follow and fix this, you know, this one issue. We've integrated into our larger program that then necessitates a better overall security posture. And ultimately, we can then attest to the fact that we've um, benefited from the result. Because in some cases, you, you know, with organizations and there's different personalities, different perspectives. And, you know, some organizations, some leaders would, you know, look at any audit finding as uh, ultimately a detriment to their program or a detriment to themselves, right? That underlying ego, this program reflects me as a person and where it's ultimately not, it's reflecting business processes. But utilizing that as a positive input into your program for improvement and not, you know, necessarily a knock on the respective person, it's hugely beneficial is, you know, we're not perfect in the space. No one is. There, there wouldn't be a need for myself and Stephanie's role in organizations if we'd solved this problem. But ultimately leads us to the monitoring processes, as Stephanie mentioned, and the measurement processes that I recommend organizations should use. Because then it gets us to a better part. And this really moves us into the next question of when we take those results, and you've already mentioned this, Stephanie, is how do we then prioritize security investment so that we're effectively addressing, you know, a limited resource in terms of investment and, you know, personnel in terms of maximizing the approach of one, the cost of the audit and its feedback, but then two, in terms of reducing that overall risk that's been identified. Any thoughts there, Stephanie, on utilizing those results? Yeah, I think when you're talking to leadership, and I think you made a great point, Sean, you don't want to look at it as a negative feedback when you get those audit findings. Instead, you can take those audit findings to leadership and say, hey, this is how we're doing. This is where we still have gaps. And for moving forward with our budget, let's look at implementing these security requirements. So I think using those audit results to move forward in your security program is actually essential for that maturity to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I really do think that that paints a picture of maturity from an organization's approach to this work, right? From the audit perspective, it's, uh, you know, there's, and again, there isn't, you know, an underlying issue of that, you know, respectfully auditors have to find something to provide value back to you. That's great. And uh, ultimately, that's what we need. Um, but we want to have um, that feedback be something tangible that we can then know that it's an improvement, know it's a weakness, and really becomes a, a coordinating factor 
between the audit party, that final report, our assessment of that final report to provide feedback and then ultimately providing that back to the business to say, here's where we are today. Here's what we need to do for tomorrow. This is basically the investment that we're going to have to make in order to address these things. The other element comes in is the risk level. So in some cases, the findings may not be contextually aware of the organization's approach to certain investments. So we may have, well, there is a finding in the space, but the underlying value of that particular finding being vulnerable or its actualization in terms of exploitability is relatively low. Uh, and in order for us to fix that, that's going to cost more than the cost of the value of the respective data system, whatever it happens to be. So you have to kind of balance it in some cases. And you know, you want to consider, obviously, that risk level. You want to look at the cost of remediation as a factor. Uh, and then ulti ultimately, it's the um, is this issue of impact on business operations. You know, we could have controls in play that, you know, basically are the fault knocks of controls. You know, there's multiple layers of authentication, author authorization, you know, uh, negative zero trust, you know, minus one trust. And it doesn't get us to a point where we're helping the business. It becomes that hindrance. And, and there's that balance as well is that not every recommendation or not every control implementation plan may make sense for the business. And ultimately, it becomes a partnership. And to Stephanie's point, the first thing she said is we take this back to the business. It's not, you know, for, for us to define. We can certainly help and identify our needs in terms of building a security posture. But ultimately, there's shared ownership in that space. So I think that's a very wise words in terms of moving us, again, that layer of maturity forward. And it's, uh, it's a team sport, not just an individual business unit uh, dictating um, respectfully risk to an organization. Uh, so now let's take a look then, Stephanie, as we look at the audit results. Now we want to take those and we want to improve our security posture over time, not immediately, right? We've got investment, we've got risk, uh, and we've got working with the business unit. So what are some of the methods here of how you would use audit results to improve over time? So if you're going to use audit results to improve over time, you definitely want to define a poem. So plan of action and milestones. And so that way you can kind of track it through the life cycle. Um, that security posture that you're trying to improve sh is not going to be overnight. It, in some cases, it could take three years if you're switching systems, if you're doing a huge overhaul of your, you know, your main technology stack. So you want to look at what the impact is to the organization as a whole and make sure that you're working with those business units to ensure that the time commitment that you think has been identified is an appropriate timeline because you aren't the only organization that has in the business, right, that has has timelines they have to meet. Everybody is, you know, working towards their own goals and priorities. And we want to make sure that we don't just come in and say, you must do this. Let's work together and do this over time. Make sure we get it right. Bring in the security by design, privacy by design, and move forward. But I think in a lot of cases, it's not an overnight, it's not even a 30-day thing. It, it takes time. And the best way I found to kind of document it is to have that poem in place. And then we can share that out to whether it's the board or risk committees or just senior leadership in general, just to show where the project is moving forward. And then, you know, depending on 
the size of the project, you might even want to consider bringing in your project management organization. Definitely, definitely. And I love that because one of the other elements um, that Stephanie has brought is communication. Very strong communication is these, you know, findings are not hidden. We make them available to those with a need to know so that they're aware of one, the process, the audit requirement, and what we need to do to provide a governance structure for the organization. So having that clear delineation of communication really helps assist one that they're, you know, they're not caught by surprise, right? The no surprises clause. And ultimately, that they know the posture we want the organization to have. It's communicated, it's shared. It's a responsibility that, uh, you know, we challenge them because there's another element to this, right, Stephanie, that there's, you know, we could scope these audits so small that the value doesn't exist, right? You, you know, it's, I only want you to focus on this application, on this computer at this time of the day, and that's it you're not going to get any value from that. And so by doing this, and in some cases, it, it challenges ourselves to really think about our program holistically. It then allows us that over time approach because we've, you know, we've implemented certain programs together where we've, you know, the scope has been very specific. And then over time, as we understand the process, the framework, the organization, the culture and security integration, We've expanded those and we've, you know, we have a number of different frameworks and certifications that we have uh, adhere to in the organization, but that wasn't overnight, right? That was something we did over time and that's how we use those results to improve our posture. When you get to, you know, a certain cadence, a certain threshold, it's, uh, and I have these conversations with you, Stephanie, is, is this is, are we ready for this approach? And in some cases, we're very close then let's do it. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's stretch ourselves to do that so that we can then approach, you know, respectfully the organization and our stakeholders and say, this is the level we've achieved for these reasons and ultimately, you know, contributes overall to our security posture uh, as an organization. The other element that we do is is regular security audits. That That's a must. That's a posture over time. You know, we see audit um, respectfully audit associations, those external to CIS come into the organization at points in time to do representative assessments. And they do those over time, obviously, a respective calendar year. But we really approach specific cadences based on risk, based on uh, underlying resources to address um, that posture so we can improve and tune, as it were, over time to improve our security program, then ultimately the output is respectfully this holistic governance assessment that includes compliance, it includes our control assessment, and ultimately is a risk-based approach to uh, managing security. We then look, uh, and one of the things I challenge Stephanie with and she challenges me with is, where are the other areas for improvement, right? If we can do this together or we can look at these gaps and really start to address uh, new areas, right? And in some cases, you know, this year, uh, Stephanie's been the author of new policies, procedures that are really pushing us to, you know, put that, you know, dot the I and cross the T in a lot of different areas where there's been ambiguity. And so it allows us then, okay, so these are new processes, new procedures, new controls, new assessment strategy, uh, and new auditability of these elements leads us again to a stronger element of um, really maturation. Uh, again, and I do attest that to be one of those measures for an organization is how often are you challenging yourself 
uh, and in what form and format that would be. And then you implement the improvement, right? How is it going over time? In some cases, we've had to step back from some. Uh, and in a lot of cases, though, we've stepped forward in many. And it's really allowed us to uh, address a cultural approach in some cases to uh, information security at CIS uh, and just seeing the benefits of that and, and seeing the reception of that uh, across a number of different um, organizations, business units, products, services, uh, it really moves us forward in that space. So Stephanie, let's go through some specific examples of how an organization you know, would use audit results to uh, ultimately assess and improve their security. So we'll go with uh, you know, an example of a major retailer, let's say, and they have an issue uh, and an audit finding of a misconfiguration. So how would they use that to improve uh, their security? Yeah, sure. So if it's a misconfiguration finding, you would want to look at the system that they have identified and determine what type of data sets live on that. Is it a critical system or is it a not so critical system? Because as you're looking at it, you need to contextualize it within the organization. And we want to look at, you know, are, is there customer data on there? Is there employee data? Is it credit card data? health data, depending on what it is, right? We want to make sure we understand what data we need to protect in that to help define what is required for the misconfiguration. Absolutely. Now, I love that because one of the things it also does is has the organization really represent the context of that system and the underlying misconfiguration. Because in some cases, you know, when we, you know, we apply the CIS benchmarks, let's say they set it and forget it. And it's ultimately that's not the right assessment because you need to understand the functionality of that respective system. Right. And so not one size in terms of configuration fits all. So you would have to assess that uh, and ultimately then use that to one, understand where they deviate from a benchmark and ultimately the reasons why and respective controls in that space if there is a function or a feature that needs to be enabled, uh, one, to provide business value, but then also needs to be protected outside of a respective configuration. Excellent. Why don't we try another one, Stephanie, and let's hit um, a healthcare organization. So let's say they um, have not done security awareness training. Um, how would that audit result be used to improve security? Well, you could do several things, right? You could look at to see why they haven't had security training um, and roll out role-based security training. That's probably a better approach than just an organization-wide security training. Um, the easiest step would just to be to roll out organization-wide and then look to implement role-based training. But you also want to make sure as a healthcare, if it's a healthcare provider or um, insurance, right, you actually have certain requirements you have to align to um, to help protect health information. Um, so you need to make sure you're aligning it with the right requirements as well as the compliance requirements. So making sure you understand that your organization has another set of regulations outside of just this one audit compliance finding for security training, you actually have to do that regardless under HIPAA, for example, right? Um, so making sure the organization is aware of their roles 
in relation to the data that they have access to. Absolutely. Now, it makes complete sense as well, because ultimately there's a responsibility for the organization to provide this type of training. I mean, um, depending on the parenthetic, as you mentioned, of the healthcare's uh, organization's ultimate goal or underlying service or product, um, there are rules that need to be followed in this space. So not only are we missing a compliance element, but what I would say is that it's also detrimental to the security posture of the respective organization and it has to be identified as a risk. So without appropriate training in the space, um, you're not able to then understand the representative attack vector because I'd rather train for that than just, you know, giving an overall training. And you mentioned it perfectly is the role based perspective. So in this area, your roles and responsibilities need to be assessed in terms of what you can, cannot, and what is best practice in terms of overall security for those underlying roles. And not only do you get that, but you ultimately you get the benefit of reducing those overall risks. So the audit finding in the space to say either, you know, and, and we're using loose examples here, but even if they said that the um, security awareness training program was ineffective, because let's say they have a high click rate of phishing, if that was part of the exercise or if internally they're doing phishing assessments, ultimately they can uh, you know, represent that the security posture of that organization is not where it should be and that improvements need to be made in that space. So again, another great one. Let's, we'll do one last one together. So let's do financial services. Um, they have um, an ineffective uh, vulnerability management process um, what would that need um, be really to implement for that organization, Stephanie? I mean, um, I guess it's kind of simple and apparent, but uh, what thoughts do you have there? I mean, look at the vulnerable, vulnerability management program. Do they even have one? Um, financial institutions, I think, are an interesting one in general because not only do you have federal regulations, you also have state regulations depending on what state you're in. Um, New York State, for example, has a specific one for financial institutions. So you need to make sure you're aligning with those, not just the compliance regulations, but with your federal and state regulations as well. But you would want to look to see where you can improve your vulnerability management program, whether it's just starting. So you could start with documentation and what does it look like, then start pulling in the teams that would be responsible for your vulnerability management program. And then ultimately, you know, does it become a ticketing system where you put in the issue and it gets remediated? Or is it something where you set up cadences to meet and go over the vulnerabilities and resolve them over time? depending on the severity of it. Definitely. No, absolutely. I think in some cases, Stephanie, you know, I would say, how do you even know your security posture at all without vulnerability management? Very difficult to assess. Uh, and again, you know, it's depending on the example and, and, and where we take it, it could be um, there's no follow through on the vulnerability patching process, right? And you're not remediating, you're not testing, uh, and you're not doing that effectively. All the SLAs don't match policy, what is implemented within an organization. So there's an adjustment period, right? I mean, we can have the best intentions to say, you know, criticals and highs within six hours. Now take that to any reasonably sized organization, specifically financial services, as we'll mention. 
you know, that turnaround time is very, very aggressive. Uh, you know, we have to assess the impact of respectfully managing a patch in the space and um, ultimately the risk. If we allow this beyond six hours, are we really putting ourselves at an undue risk that it needs to be solved in the space? And again, the, this addressing of the context. And I think in a lot of cases, Stephanie, it's lost in uh, many organizations and it's either not understood that there should be contextualized approach or the context is just completely missing because they're ignoring the feedback, they're ignoring what was received, you know, because of certain issues that we've already talked about. Um, so that was good. That was a good exercise. Thank you, Stephanie, for that. Uh, and ultimately, what it leads us to is this next question in terms of, you know, what are some of the challenges that an organization may face with the fact that they've got an audit report, right, that there's recommendations, um, you know, through gap assessment, we know what those are, through risk analysis, we know which ones have to be done first. What are some of the challenges that are faced, though, with trying to implement these findings and remediations? Sure. Um, so there's always the issue of competing priorities. Uh, what the organization has identified as high priority items, whether it's goals or initiatives, uh, may con conflict with the audit findings. So you want to make sure that you look at how those audit findings could be incorporated or even be beneficial in those situations. You also need to understand that Human capital is always an issue, whether or not you have the right number of people to assist. I think that tends to be something that organizations lack depending on their size, right? Their security teams aren't very large or their IT teams aren't very large to be able to support the organization as a whole, as well as these additional you know, requirements. And then another one obviously is funding. Um, usually security and IT are cost centers, uh, not revenue generating. So when you're not revenue generating, sometimes it's hard to get the funding needed to actually implement the necessary controls to secure your environment. Absolutely. No, phenomenal. Um, literally I have nothing to add to that. That, that was awesome. Um, it, it it's uh, it, you bring up some amazing points there, and it, it's often that those either go unnoticed, or in some cases the fear of having all of these elements, as it were, you know, restricts organizations in terms of bringing forward new investment, new requirements to implement audits, um, resources, you know, um, either through people, time, or ultimately uh, expenditure in this space. Great. Very good. Uh, one of the, we'll go to the last couple of questions now, but in some cases, Stephanie, um, given um, you, the, the amazing track record you have with audits, what is advice you would give to organizations? So, you know, we're in this last element of the life cycle, but I think ultimately the way I address it is, well, it's beginning of the next audit cycle, right? So we're, we've finished this one, we're preparing for the next. What advice would you give organizations about to go through, um, you know, a security compliance audit? Yeah, I think to really understand where you are, you should do a gap assessment before you actually go into that. Just so you have an understanding of what your findings could be, you look at it from a different perspective than an external auditor. So when you're looking at what the external auditor brings to the table in terms of findings, um, you can look from their perspective as well as your own perspective and say, well, this isn't necessarily a gap, but let's look to see if we can remediate it anyways. Um, 
so really understanding where you are as an organization today will help you, I think, moving forward in any type of audit. Um, and then from there, just because an audit ends doesn't mean your controls stop. It doesn't mean your security stops. doesn't mean you stop doing your privacy requirements. It just means what can we do to better our organization moving forward? You know, is it let's go to the next level, right? Some some frameworks have multiple tiers, right? Um, if you look at FISMA, you right, you have your moderate level and your highs. So do we want to start looking at the next level of security requirements? Does it actually align with our organization and what we need to do with our organization? But I don't think it ever really stops. Uh, regulatory requirements change. Um, you get new laws introduced that can affect your environment. So you need to make sure you're paying attention to the laws and working closely with your legal teams. Uh, I think that's very critical because when you miss a law or a regulation that can have major impacts to the organization, uh, not only reputationally, but financially as well. So just make sure you're keeping your eyes open for what's coming, what's over the horizon, because it's never, an, you're never gonna get to the end. Exactly right. Exactly right. And I love that. And you even used uh, the podcast tagline, where you are. And that's exactly right. Cybersecurity, where you are. <laughs> that's fantastic because it is, you know, your current posture and what you want to do to move forward. So I, I love that. And one of the other things, and again, it's just an attribute to Stephanie's program here at CIS is the preparation and the cooperation with auditors, right? It's a curated approach to the evidentiary requirements that they have and how we've built the program, how you've integrated that capture and uh, making it really easy to uh, provide evidence in that space is uh, hugely beneficial. So you're kind of meeting the auditor where they're at, but you're also practicing that same audit element within the organization. Uh, and so it just adds a, an extra level of professionalism and, uh, you know, that, that approach to, to it. So uh, again, great work in this space. And then finally, Stephanie, any future trends that you see in, uh, you know, information security, um, audit and compliance audit and assessment, uh, anything that you see in this space? I mean, continuous auditing is always something that I think is can improve, you can improve on upon in your organization. So really looking to see where that continuous auditing can take place. I also think if you're talking about future trends in general, you're gonna to start to see a lot of regulations around AI. So be on the lookout for those. Um, we also, you know, like I said earlier, privacy is really big. And as each state is coming across, especially if you're in the United States, each state is kind of developing their own privacy framework um, we want to make sure we're paying attention to those and, and aligning with those before they actually go into effect. So I think AI is a big concern moving forward as well as privacy. Um, but in terms of actual auditing, just how can you automate it and how can you do it continuously so that way you're not really, it's not just a point in time. You're always evaluating your posture. Um, one thing I do like too is just how can you improve that? Can you enhance it? So one enhancement we've made to our program is where our auditors don't just go in and 
look at the evidence provided to us from the business units, they can actually go in and evaluate the settings to make sure they're continuously at those settings and we're not changing them, right? So that that's our one way we do continuous auditing. While it's not automated, it allows us the ability to see into the environment, make sure it's not changing and that we're creating a secure environment in general. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Again, thank you so much, Stephanie, for your um, wise words, your wisdom, and, uh, you know, going through the, the assessments in your role and the success that you've had. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great work. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it, too. And to the audience, any questions or concerns, podcast at cisecurity.org. Make sure to subscribe to us in all the usual ways. And with that, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure. Want an adaptive cybersecurity posture? A CIS SecureSuite membership provides you with a toolbox for implementing a governance controls program quantitative risk analysis, and continuous compliance and auditing. Now through October 31st, save up to 20% on a new SecureSuite membership with the promo code AUDIT2023. Learn more by visiting cisecurity.org slash CIS SecureSuite.